0: Words are a powerful weapon that can be used for good or for evil. The writer of First John was privileged to hear Jesus speak and see Jesus act. John, when he began this letter, spoke of the fact that he had heard certain things with his ears and that he had seen certain things with his own eyes. And John was blessed. John was privileged to hear Jesus preach his greatest sermon ever that we call the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, through 7. John was privileged to hear Jesus talk about glorious things that would happen in the future in that portion of scripture known as the Olivet Discourse. John was even blessed and privileged to not only hear, but to witness what is discussed in John 13 through 17, that which we call the Upper Room Discourse. Those events take place right before Jesus goes to the cross, to die for sins, your sins and my sins. It was during the upper room discourse that Jesus spoke to his disciples some profound words. And the words are found in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment. I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know, Jesus said, that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Three times Jesus speaks about loving one another. And he says it's a new commandment, even though in the Old Testament it's spoken of Israel loving their neighbors. But Jesus uses this occasion to talk about loving one another. And he says that it's new, that it's something that is fresh. This love commandment, loving one another, is something that had a lasting impact upon the Apostle John. These words really never, ever left him. John could never forget this command to love one another. He could never forget God's love toward him through Jesus. The the truth of these words, transformed John's life. He was once known as one of the sons of thunder. But as a result of this biblical truth, God working in his life, he became known as the apostle of love. And when you read 1 John, it is saturated with talking about love. So this commandment never ever left him. And as he writes to his readers that he's addressing in this book that we call 1 John, the the words of Jesus are still ringing in his ears. He's still hearing Jesus say, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. And as he comes to these verses in particular, that's what's driving him to, to write what he says. And he communicates to his readers this marvelous truth, this responsibility, this new commandment, because he wants the words of Jesus to have a lasting impact in their lives. And he wants these words to have a lasting impact in our lives. What should be Echoing in our ears what should permeate our life should be the words of Jesus when he gave this new commandment. I trust that God will use his word in our life to wake us up, to move us, to motivate us, So that every act that we do is a reflection, is a manifestation of this new commandment that Jesus gave right before he went to the cross. As we come to this passage, I want to address these verses from the subject, the love commandment. And in these verses, we realize and we learn that there are two perspectives that we need to have toward the responsibility to love one another. And that first perspective that we must have toward the love commandment, the the commandment to love one another, is that it is imperative. Uh, It is a must. We got to shake ourselves loose From our lackadaisical, comfortable idea that this commandment is not important. We gotta wake ourselves up by the Spirit of God so that He might impress upon us that loving one another is not optional, but it is imperative. It is a must. In John, goes to great lengths in verses 7 and 8 to communicate that to us. He wants us to know that this is not just simply a subject to be studied. It's not just a topic to be treasured, but this is a commandment to be conformed to. We are called upon by God, by our master, to love one another. And as John introduces us to this subject, he does it in a way that he is an example of what it means to love one another. He addresses his readers as beloved, dearly loved ones. I'm going to challenge you, John says, to love others but I want you to know that the challenge comes from one who loves you. I love you, John says, and I want you to love others. And what better way to begin a discussion on love than to hear it come from someone who's actually doing it, someone who's actually practicing it. And John wants us to realize that the command to love one another is familiar and from the past. In other words, he calls it an old commandment. He says to his readers, look, what I'm writing to you concerning this love commandment, this is not a new commandment. It's not new in time. It's not novel. I hope you realize that we live in a day and age where people want new things. And really, they want things that are novel. And that's a sign of false teachers. They're coming up with things that are new, things that you can't find in Scripture to lead people astray. They're giving you new ideas and new concepts and new beliefs. And John says, look, what I'm writing to you about is not new in time, and it's not new in the idea of being novel. I'm not all of a sudden writing to you about something that nobody else has written to you about. I'm not coming up with a topic that I somehow found out about. Now, John said, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old Commandment. And the reason why the readers would be able to resonate with that, the reason why they would know that it's an old commandment, is from their own experience. John said, This old commandment you've had from the beginning. That is, when they became Christians, when they repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ, part and parcel of that reality is that somebody told them about the importance of the love commandment. Somebody told them that now that they're Christian, the love commandment is critical and must be practiced. And every Christian needs to be reminded of that truth. Every Christian needs to have it pressed upon their heart, that the love commandment is not something for the future, not something for down the road. The love commandment is for the beginning of the Christian life. And these readers were exposed to the love commandment from the very beginning. It was old to them. It was familiar to them. They had it from the past. And not only that, John said, this is the message. This is the word that you heard. He could say to all of them, that he's writing to you heard from the beginning that you are to love one another. And that stresses how important this commandment is. That it needs to be heard, it needs to be proclaimed, it needs to be lived from the very beginning of the Christian life. So the command, love one another, is familiar it's from the past. But shockingly, amazingly, almost paradoxically, John goes on to say, look, I'm not writing a new commandment, but an old commandment. And then he turns around in verse 8 says, hey, I am writing to you a new commandment. Well, you just taken the time in verse 7 to say it's an old commandment. That is a new commandment, not a new commandment, and now you're telling me it's a new commandment. So what is it? Which is it? Is it an old commandment or is it a new commandment? It's both. It's an old commandment. Their experience testifies to that. It's a new commandment. And John is speaking from a different perspective. It's a new commandment because Jesus himself, when he gave the love commandment, said, I give you a new commandment. It was new in the sense of being fresh. It was new in the sense that it wasn't just for the past, it's for the present. It's new in the sense of the Model the example for carrying out this commandment, is Jesus. We're to love one another as Christians, just like Jesus loved his disciples. So the model is not you, the model is not me, the model is the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says to his disciples, his followers, love one another just like I have loved you. He loved them. He demonstrated that. He manifested that. And they now possessed a model for loving one another. It's new when you think about the extent of the love commandment. Basically, Jesus is telling his disciples, you love one another. That is, you love those who are also followers of me. Well, the followers of Jesus didn't end with the 12. The the followers of Jesus doesn't end with those on the day of Pentecost who come to saving faith. It's not those just in the book of the... The followers of Jesus is... Continually expanding. It expands to include all Christians today. And and when you look at the extent of the another now, it's not just the Christian who lives in my home. It's not just the Christian who lives in my neighborhood. But it's every Christian. I'm called upon as a believer in Jesus Christ to love every individual, regardless of what race, tribe, nation, and tongue that they come from. I know some of us don't like that. We we feel comfortable with loving those who look like us and act like us and talk like us. But the new commandment is not restricted to a select few Christians it is to extend. That, that's what makes it new. That's what makes it present. So I have an obligation to love each and every one of you, even if you look different than me, even if you're older than me or younger than me, even if your sex is different than my sex. I have an obligation to love you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in you as a Christian. And, and so this commandment is new. And I think it's also new because it's the commandment that is to reign. Now, some of you are John Coltrane fans. A love supreme. Well, Well, the love commandment is a love supreme that is to reign in the church age because of the crucifixion of Jesus because of his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. The thing that was to mark his disciples as they lived here on earth is that they loved one another. And I believe that's what John is trying to say at the end of verse 8 when he says that this love commandment is true in Jesus. How is it true in him? He was the example for it. He was the one who explained it and extended it. But he says it's also true in the readers. And you, John says, the readers, you love one another. And then he says the reason why is because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That sounds strange. Strange. He talks about darkness, he talks about light, and he'll keep doing it in this passage. But but basically saying that because of what Christ accomplished on the cross, because of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we are living in a time of transition. The, the darkness reflecting the kingdom of Satan is passing away. And the true light reflecting the kingdom of Jesus is already shining. The kingdom of Christ has burst on the scene, starting with the church, and it shines when we love one another. When we love one another, we are modeling love supreme. We are telling everyone, in essence, that the darkness is passing away. When you love one another, you're saying the darkness is passing away. That Satan's kingdom and rule is passing away. But you're also saying that the true light is shining, that the kingdom of Christ is bursting forth. And one day, it will do more than just burst forth. Jesus Christ will come back again and set up his kingdom here on earth. And so we are to love one another. It's imperative. It's a must. The old commandment, that is a new commandment, is from the past, but it's for the present. It is something that is familiar, but it's something that is fresh. So how are you doing? I'm not asking in general. I'm just saying how are you doing with the the love commandment? Is the love commandment true in you? Maybe a better question to ask ourselves is, Fairview, how are we doing with the love commandment? Because the love commandment is not isolated to a single individual. A single individual cannot carry out this commandment because it's to be love for one another, love that's going back and forth. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves those who are on the outside of Fairview? Do they look at us as the, quote, beloved community? Do they see here at 1215 Marlborough Avenue a group of Christians who come together and love one another? It's, it's, it's kind of hard for that to be a reality if we don't come together. <laughs> if we stay scattered, if we're in our own homes, in our own communities, and we don't come together as a Christian community, it's kind of hard to love one another. If we just show up when we feel like it. It's kind of hard to love one another if we don't even know each other's names. I know I'm meddling and I'm going to continue to meddle. I hope the Spirit of God is doing the meddling. But, but if we don't know each other's names, if we don't even greet one another, would anybody be convinced that we are the beloved community? If all we do is rip up each other and slander each other and talk about each other or want to stay away from each other. So so how are we doing as a church? With this commandment to love one another, that's the question that we need to ask and answer as a community of believers. So the first perspective that we need to have toward this love commandment, that loving one another, is imperative. But the second perspective that we need to have, and it's just as important, is that loving one another is important is significant, is crucial. It's more than just a commandment that is old and new, that is familiar and fresh, that is from the past and for the present. But but this commandment has ramifications and implications for every human being in the world. Because this commandment, the love commandment, basically lets us know whether or not we possess genuine and true salvation. Remember, this is a book of assurance. Last week, we, we talked about those assuring tugs that I know Christ. And one of those assuring tugs is that we obey Christ's commandments. Well, here is one of Christ's commandments. And as we look at Christ's commandment, the love commandment, to love one another, that will give us assurance of whether or not we truly know Jesus Christ in the pardon of our sins. A person's talk does not confirm one's salvation. And we've seen this already in 1 John. But what we, John evidently wants us to see it again. He wants us to hear it. It's not what you say or what you claim that makes you a Christian. We know that because of the fact of what John says in verse 9. He brings before us an unknown individual. We don't know his name. He doesn't identify who the person is by name, but he does identify the person by their claim. What does this person claim in verse 9? The one who says that he is in the light. This is what he claims. He is in the light. The light that characterizes Our God who is light, that we learned in 1 John 1, fine. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This person says that he is in that realm that is characterized by God. This is what he's saying. This is what is coming out of his mouth. He doesn't just say it one time. He says it repeatedly. And each time he says it, at the same time, John says that this individual hates his brother. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. But when you look at this person's walk, he hates his brother. Hate can be something as simple as the the idea that you have contempt for a person or just that you don't want to have anything to do with the person. I think the best way to see hate here is that it's a lack of love. And all the while this person is claiming to be a Christian, He's hating, quote, his brother, that is a fellow Christian, even though he is not truly a Christian, that is, the person making the claim. He says he's a Christian, but he hates the person who is a Christian. And here, the emphasis is not on one act. I think every Christian... Would have to acknowledge that they have committed an act of hate toward their brother or sister in Christ. But the Christian who has committed that act of hate confesses his sin and forsakes his sin. This person that John is talking about is simply hating his brother. It's unbroken, it's repeated. There is no coming to Jesus Christ. There is no coming to God and saying the same thing about this hatred that God says and repenting from that uh, sin. There, There is no forgiveness of sin. This person just is going on time after time after time hating his brother. And John says, it doesn't matter what this person claims. His conduct says something else. And what does his conduct say? His conduct says that this person is in the darkness. In the darkness. Can't get any more graphic than that. The person is not in the kingdom of Christ. The person's in the darkness. And John says, Unto, until now. That is, he's was in the darkness in the past, He remains in the darkness. And John says, as I write these words, He's still in the darkness. So please understand, talk does not certify or confirm one's salvation. You can claim all you want that you're a Christian. But if your walk says otherwise, you or I are in the darkness. Not just a momentary thing, live in the darkness. That's home. Talk does not confirm one's salvation, but walk does confirm one's salvation. It's not what I say, it's what I do. It's not what comes from my lips, it's what comes from my life. And John is going to prove that point in verses 10 and 11. He's going to let us know that it's a person's walk who confirms, who certifies that they are truly saved. And so in verse 10, he talks about the one who loves his brother. Continually seeking his brother or sister's best possible good ongoing action. Loves his brother. John says when you look at a person's walk, and the person's walk gives evidence of loving his brother or her brother, then the reality is that this person is abiding in the light. Not just in the light but continuing and remaining in the light that characterizes God. In other words, this is a true Christian. This is a person who's truly been born again. This is a person who's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And and you can know that that is the case because this person continually loves his brother and sister in Christ. And not only that, Not only does this person abide in the light, but this person, in this person, there is no cause for stumbling. And this could mean that this person, because they're loving their brother, doesn't cause their brother to go into sin. Or it could mean that this person, because they love their brother, doesn't fall, doesn't falter in their walk with God. I think it's the latter idea. No cause for stumbling for failing when we are loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. But there's a walk of another individual, not the one who loves his brother, but the one in verse 11 who hates his brother. The walk of one who hates his brother. This is the same person, so to speak, that we saw in verse 9, the one who says he's in the light, but yet he hates his brother. As a result of that, he's in the darkness, even until now. And now John brings this person up again. He's not so much concerned about this person's claim, but their conduct, their walk. And what does he say about this person's walk? He hates his brother. He does not seek his brother's best possible good. He's indifferent. And sometimes he detests his brother. But there's a lack of love, acts of love, that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, when Paul talks about how love acts. And he says 15 different ways that love acts. Here is someone where they do not demonstrate those acts of love. When John thinks about such an individual who hates his brother, it terrifies him. It causes him him to describe this person in such a horrific way. It's almost as if John is saying that There's nothing worse in your walk, in your conduct, in your life than to be one who continually hates others. And so what does he say? It's true, this individual. He said this individual is in the darkness. It's like a downward spiral that he presents here. It's like somebody falling in a pitch black well, and they just keep going down and down and down until they hit rock bottom. And so John starts it off by saying, "Here is someone who is in the darkness." But it gets worse: this person, not only in the, the, the kingdom of Satan, while he's living on Earth, but this person walks in the darkness, roams about. So so when you look at this person's license they have a license to live and to walk about but when you look at the address the address is 101 Hell Street living in Satan's city and Satan's state but the person's alive the person's living he he walks about in the darkness he moves And carries himself in that dark realm. And if that's not bad enough, John goes on to say he he doesn't know where he's going. Even though he's moving around and walking about back and forth, he doesn't know where he's going. Why? Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He can't see. So he's in the darkness. He walks in the darkness and he is blinded by the darkness. This person is messed up. This is a picture in Scripture of a person who is unsaved. You shouldn't look at your unsaved child or your unsaved mate, or your unsaved neighbor or your unsaved co-worker as just simply a human being where everything is okay. You need to look at that individual through the eyes of Scripture, through the lens of Scripture. A person who's not saved is in the darkness, Walks in the darkness and is blinded by the darkness. They need Jesus. And that's who we were before God saved us. We were messed up and jacked up. We were in the darkness and walked in the darkness and Blinded by the darkness, we didn't know where we were going. we were stumbling into drugs, into sex, into pride, into arrogance, etc. But Jesus rescued us, saved us. Why this horrific picture of the one who hates his brother? It's designed. So that you and I might realize how ridiculous, how contradictory it is for a Christian to hate his brother. An act of hate toward another Christian is to act like one who is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and is blinded by the darkness. That should not characterize us as Christians. So loving one another is imperative. Loving one another is important. As I was reminded this past Wednesday, Wednesday night Bible study, somebody told me to keep it real. I won't say who that person is, but those who were present, we know who it was. So I'm going to try to keep it real. Loving one another. The love commandment can only be obeyed by Christians. If you're without Christ, you you can try, but you can't fulfill this love commandment. It requires that you repent of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The, The love commandment can only be obeyed by Christians who depend and rely upon the Holy Spirit. If you think we can do this in our own strength, we're fooling ourselves. We need the enablement. We need the help of God the Spirit. But let me add this so I can keep it real. The love commandment is to be obeyed regardless of the circumstances and situations of life. Is this Black History Month? Let me bring before you someone who is a champion of the Christian faith, John Perkins, still alive. But John Perkins, if you don't know who he is, go on to the internet, Google him. He's written a number of books. You know he never went past the third grade. He was an African-American who came from Mississippi, spent time in California, then went back to Mississippi. But John Perkins wrote a book entitled, He's My Brother. And he wrote it with a white author. And the subtitle is this, A Black Activist and a Former Klansman Tell Their Stories. A black activist, John Perkins, a former Klansman, Charles Tarrant, Tell Their Stories. And one of the things that John Perkins mentions several times in this book is how he encountered an event in a jail in Brandon, Mississippi. And in that jail in Brandon, Mississippi, he was beaten. He was kicked. He was stomped. Into unconsciousness and revived just so he could be beaten into unconsciousness again. He was a bloody mess. And this was done by police. In fact, the name of the sheriff was Jonathan Edwards. Not the Jonathan Edwards that many admire and speak well of in American history, responsible for the Great Awakening. But obviously, this man's parents named him Jonathan Edwards for a reason, in that he was supposed to reflect Christianity. And this man, the sheriff, turned around and named his son Jonathan Edwards. They were responsible for what happened to John Perkins, in this jail in Brandon, Mississippi. John Perkins says he was beaten all over his head. They blackened his eyes. They kicked him in the stomach. They beat him on his back and and his shoulders. He was a bloody mess. He would look down on the ground and see all this blood, not realizing it was his blood. They took a bent fork and stuck it up his nose. They took that same fork and tried to jam it down his throat. They took a gun and put it to his head and pulled the trigger. Obviously, there were no bullets in the chamber. Then, after all of this, they put him, finally, they booked him and put him in jail. Let me read for you the response of this African-American Christian, how he responded to this situation. John Perkins writes, I was determined that it, hate, would not destroy my soul. I did not want to be like those men. I did not want to hate back. In fact, I knew that I could not hate those men. God's love will not let me hate anyone for any reason. I'm not telling you about John Perkins to cause you to be angry. But I am telling you about John Perkins to let you know that when God saves a person, it can radically change their life and enable that individual not only to love their brothers and sisters in Christ, but to even love their enemies. Some of you are in some challenging circumstances and situations. The love commandment, you don't like, but hopefully when you see it from God's perspective, you will love it. And and that Christian that you might have to love, might be your husband or your wife. That Christian might be a fellow member at Fairview Heights Baptist Church. One who doesn't measure up. One who's not who you think he or she should be. But instead of cutting that person up and slicing that person up and staying away from that person, love on that person. Love that person. Don't hate. That person. The the love commandment is imperative. We must love. I I don't care how the world looks at that. I I don't care how they analyze Christianity and say that that's crazy. I I never ever want to be a part of something that says I got to love somebody who treats me that way. I don't care what they say. All I'm interested in what God is saying to us. And he's saying to us that these words are to have a bearing upon our life. The, the love commandment is to be something that can never ever leave our minds as we interact with each other. So when you come across your brothers and sisters in Christ, Remember what Jesus said some 60 years before John wrote these words. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another just as I have loved you. We can apply that to us. Fairview, let us love one another just as God has loved us. Let's pray together. Father, you have shown us in your word that the love commandment is imperative and that it is important that we love one another. Grant us grace and enablement and help to fulfill this commandment, not in our own strength and ability, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, it's very possible that you want us to look at this love commandment and and realize that we're not genuinely saved, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, realizing that there's no way we can love like this. It only comes through genuine salvation, a transformed life, the ability that comes from the Spirit of God. And so if there's someone here today as they look at the love commandment, may you use that to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ and show them their need for a Savior. Thank you for your great love toward us. Help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.